Friends, as you know, last week I began a new series of messages entitled, After This Life. That's the subject that we need to know the answer to, amen? In that first message, we discovered that after this life, there is more. You need to know that after this life, there is more. And the book of Hebrews told us that death is certain, judgment is real, but thankfully, salvation is possible. And that is a wonderful message for all those who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the subject of what happens after this life really generates more questions than it does details. It really generates more questions of which will probably remain unanswered in this life. As I prepared for this study, I thought that I had a clear understanding about what happens after this life. But did I really believe it? You see, sometimes that 18 inches between your noggin and your heart can prove to be a great distance. So friends, today, this morning, I want to share more about what the Bible teaches will happen after this life. Let's begin by what happens immediately after death. In a book entitled, One Minute After You Die, one pastor wrote, One minute after you exit death's door... You will either be in enjoying a personal welcome from the Lord Jesus Christ or you will be catching your first glimpse of gloom as you have never known it. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. Those people who find themselves after this life, those that find themselves in the presence of the Lord will be surrounded by those that they've known on earth who have gone on before them in the Lord Jesus. And every description that they have ever heard about heaven will pale in the light of reality. And this will go on forever and ever and ever. Others, sadly, many others, will be shrouded in darkness, deprived of anything good, and overwhelmed with unending regret. With all of their memories, with all of their faculties, with all of their feelings fully intact, images of their life on earth will return to haunt them again and again and again. Those people will think back to their families, their friends, and their relatives, and they will agonize 
over the opportunities that they squandered, knowing that their future is both hopeless and unending. For those people, death will be far worse than they ever could have imagined. Now, friends, I tell you these things because there's a point. And the point is this. While your relatives and your friends are planning your funeral, while your family and friends are deciding on your casket, preparing your burial plot, and choosing who your pallbearers will be, you will be more alive than you ever have been. You will either see God on His throne, surrounded by angels and redeemed humanity, or you will feel the indescribable weight of guilt and abandonment like you've never known it. And the truth is this. There is no destination between these two extremes. After this life brings either gladness or gloom. Now this morning, we're going to touch on the fact, the question really, of what happens immediately after death. Now, the Bible is really the only worthy source to tell us what happens after this life. Furthermore, Jesus is the only one who's truly qualified enough to speak with any authority about death and what happens immediately after it. So today, as we examine a story, actually a narrative, you know there's a difference between a story and a narrative. A narrative are the factual accounts of what happened. So as we examine this narrative, it's going to take us about three weeks to cover the whole thing. And in this narrative, Jesus himself, all the words that we will read today will be in red. They will all be the words of Jesus. And he will give us a glimpse into what happens immediately after death. And beginning in Luke chapter 16, I believe that's page 926 in the Bibles in front of you. I'd love for you to follow along with the story. In Luke 16, 19, Jesus gives us an account of an unnamed rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. Now, you'll only find this narrative in the book of Luke. And it's ironic that Luke was a physician. And as a doctor, Luke knew 
what life meant. Luke knew what death meant. But as we read about this narrative in the book of Luke, I have come to believe this point. This is not a parable. This is not an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This is the account of two real men with two real eternities. So today I want to share with you three things that you're going to discover immediately after death. Let's begin reading in verse 19 of Luke 16. Again, the Lord Jesus himself says this. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Lazarus had the dogs come and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died. And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in these flames. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. The first thing you're going to discover immediately after death is that all earthly prosperity... And earthly suffering will have ended. All earthly prosperity and earthly suffering will have ended. Notice the rich man clothed in purple and fine linen while the beggar is clothed in rags. Notice the rich man with a large home while the beggar was laid by some sympathetic friends at his gate. Notice the rich man. A healthy, well-fed body. Meanwhile, the beggar is full of sores. Notice the rich man living in luxury every day. What was the beggar living on? Crumbs. Now, at the outset of this message, I want to be crystal clear about one thing. And that is, this rich man was not condemned because of his wealth. People are condemned because they refuse to believe on the only Savior we have from the penalty of sin. And what's his name? 
Say it if you know it. Jesus. But it's also true about Lazarus. See, this rich man, he wasn't condemned because of his wealth. But boy, he sure did show a blatant disregard for this poor beggar basically laid at his front door. Surely, if that rich man had the love of the Lord in him, he would not allow, he would not be able to live in the lap of luxury knowing that this poor beggar was laying at his gate begging for crumbs. But you need to know that it's also true that this beggar Lazarus was not saved because he was poor. Obviously, Lazarus had trusted in the Lord for the salvation of his soul. And so here we have this this huge dichotomy, this huge contrast between the life of the rich man and the life of Lazarus. These two men have absolutely zero in common in this life. The rich man, extremely wealthy, his wardrobe only consisted of the finest clothes that money could buy. He also had a large home. Having a gate implies that he was living in a mansion. The rich man also lived in lavish luxury day in and day out, which kind of implies that he was a bit flamboyant, a little flashy with all of his wealth. The rich man appears to be healthy. There's no mention of sickness at all. We don't even know why he died. But he's a lot like people today. Many people today go about living their lives day in and day out, never thinking one second about what will happen after this life. And it's ironic to me that we never find out the rich man's name. Why? Could it be that because he didn't have a relationship with God, it really just doesn't matter? But then we have Lazarus on the other hand. Lazarus lived an extremely different life. Lazarus was poverty stricken and destitute further than your ability to understand. He did not have nothing. Not only that, Lazarus was very sick. Lazarus was unable to work. And get this, Lazarus had to beg for food. Beg for food? We're told that Lazarus was so hungry that he was willing to eat the burnt and broken and discarded breadcrumbs from the rich man's table. 
Lazarus was sure blessed in one key way. Lazarus knew God. Lazarus knew God. And it's also interesting to me that that name Lazarus actually means the Lord is my helper. Yeah, the rich man and Lazarus lived these totally different lives. But they did have one thing in common. Both of them died. Both of them died. But we were reminded last week that death is not the end of existence. Our physical bodies may cease to function. But the soul and the spirit, the, the very being of who you are, continues to live on for eternity. Immediately after death, the invisible inward being of who you are moves out of the body and enters into an entirely new existence. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul speaks to us in the Bible and compares this body of ours to a tent. You see, this tent we live in gets old, doesn't it? We groan as we experience pain and suffering while in this tent. And the longer we live, the more tattered and feeble this tent becomes. But there's one thing that has always given me comfort with the end of life. And that is the truth that this tent we live in was never designed, nor was it ever intended to last forever. It was only for this life. And I love the story of the former sixth president of the United States. His name was John Quincy Adams. And when Adams was 80 years old, a friend came up to him and he said, Good morning. How is John Quincy Adams this morning? And President Adams said, John Quincy Adams himself is quite well, sir. Quite well. But the house that he lives in is becoming quite dilapidated. The building that he lives in is beginning to teeter on its foundation. Time and seasons seem to have taken its toll on my house. This old tent that I live in is almost uninhabitable. And I think that John Quincy Adams will soon have to move out. But he himself is quite well, sir. Quite well. Not long after that conversation, John Quincy Adams suffered his second and final stroke and he moved out of that shaky dwelling place into a house not made with hands. 
Friends, in today's verses, both of these guys died. And their death changed everything. The life of Lazarus held much suffering and pain. But guess what? Death ended that. The life of the rich man had been a time of abundance and ease. But guess what? Death ended that too. In fact, all that's said about the beggar's death is he died. Lazarus just exited death's door. Nothing is said about his funeral. Nothing said about his burial. His body was likely just carted off to the city dump and burned with the rest of the trash. But the rich man also died. Oh, can you imagine the fabulous funeral that he was given? Probably the finest funeral that money could buy. Doesn't that sound a lot like today? I know many, many people who have prepared for their funeral, and they should. Many, many people have even purchased their plot where they're going to be laid to rest. Some people have even purchased their marker and got their name on it. But you know, there's a lot of people that have not prepared to die. The rich man lived without God in this world, and he was going to live without God in the next. All earthly prosperity was gone. Everything he had was lost. But also, all earthly suffering will end as well. Now, immediately after death, we also find that our eternity begins. Notice there in verse 22, Jesus said, So it was that the beggar died and was carried off by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, in James 2.26, the Bible tells us that death takes place when our spirit leaves this tent. When our spirit leaves this body, that is what constitutes death. But death is not the end. Death is only the beginning of a whole new existence in a whole new place. And I love what Charles Swindoll says. He says, when people die, only their tent goes in the grave. Only their bodies go into the grave. At a funeral, it's only the physical shell that's laid in the casket. The real person. The soul and the spirit of the person has already departed. Either to a place of comfort or to a place of, of torment. And that all depends upon their relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's something I want to point out. Did you notice that when both these guys die, 
When both of them pass away, there's no pause in the action. There's no lapse in time. There's no break in the narrative that Jesus shares. In fact, it seems like the very moment that they die, they instantaneously begin to experience their eternal position. And as both pass through death's door, an amazing reversal occurs. Jesus tells us that as soon as Lazarus died, angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. That's just a Jewish way of saying that Lazarus was carried into the presence and joy of the Lord. Jesus was crystal clear here. You need to take this one and put it in the bank. There's no denying that the angels who minister to us here on earth are the ones that are going to be responsible for carrying us to our eternal home with the Lord. And it's obvious to me that there's no waiting period. It's instant. And that reinforces to me what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, or verse 5 rather. He wrote to this to the church. See, there were Christians that still were struggling about what happens immediately after death. And so Paul wanted to clarify this for him. And he said in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us his spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8 is important. We are confident, yes, well pleased, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What a wonderful testimony for the believer of, on Jesus Christ. So very important that we understand that. Here, Lazarus was a man who had a relationship with God, and when he died, he was escorted by the angels into the physical presence of God where it was no longer seeing by faith, he was seeing by sight, praise God. Death was not the end. There was no waiting. Immediately, he began his new life in the presence of God. On the other hand, the rich man's tent also failed him. And yeah, he died. But no angels carried him into God's presence. One split second after he died, he found himself in a terrifying place of torment and fear. You see, immediately after death, all earthly prosperity or earthly suffering will end and our eternity will begin. But immediately after death, you also need to know that our eternity is set forever. Look in verse 24. Then the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. Now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, 
between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Nor can those from there pass to us. Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us that immediately after death, there are only two possible destinations. Either a place of comfort or a place of torment. And for the next two weeks, I'm going to speak specifically about each one of those. But this morning, I want you to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, you can know that when, not if you die, you will immediately find yourself experiencing eternity somewhere. And friend, once our lives are over here, there's no opportunity to change our lives there. Verse 26, that rich man is told, I'm sorry. Between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed and we can't go to you if we wanted to and you can't come to us if you wanted to. So what is going to happen to you immediately after death? What's going to happen to you when your body ceases to function? Do you know for sure where you're going to spend eternity? Jesus makes it clear. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. So don't be content with I think so. Don't be content. Well, I sure hope so. No, you need to know so. That's too important a question for us to give that kind of response. Hope so. Friends, the choices in this life, choosing or refusing Jesus, determine our eternal destiny. And once death has taken place, that's set forever. And forever sure is a long time. But here's some good news to leave on. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says, These things I have written to you who believe in the Son of Man, that you may know that you have eternal life. You need to walk out of this building knowing that you have eternal life. And the Bible says you can know for certain that you'll be spending eternity in heaven. So right now, in this place, you can turn from your sin. You can place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. You can be saved from the penalty of sin. And you can leave this building today knowing that immediately after death, you will be in the presence of the Lord. Only one more question for you. 
What do you say about that? Father God, I praise you and I thank you for your word that's clear. Lord, I thank you for this narrative that Jesus shared about the two eternal possibilities for the human soul. Lord, I pray that not one person in this building leaves, walks out those doors, not knowing. It's too important. Forever is just too long. So, Father, I pray today that during this decision song, There'll be somebody that would make a decision to say, I got to know. I got to know that I'll be spending eternity in heaven. I can't stand not knowing. Father, I pray that if there is one here that doesn't know but needs to know, that Father, during this song, they'll just allow the faith within them, the faith you supply, to help them to step out to step forward so that they can know what's going to happen to them immediately after death. The presence of the Lord. Father, we desire to be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord. So, Father, I pray that this morning you're speaking to every man, every woman, and every child in this room. And Father, you're not going to let them leave until they know. Lord, I pray that they would come forward and allow me to share what your word says about how they can be saved from the penalty of sin. It's pretty simple, even though sometimes it's kind of hard. Father, you have your way and your will with this decision time. And we're going to give you glory in advance for the decisions that are coming in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen.